This is On Location. I'm Tim Leitner. Today's episode comes here on location from St. Joseph County, Indiana, and Anchorage, Alaska. But first, On Location is produced by the NCA Communications Committee with special production assistance from Joe Manlin and me. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcast, Breaker, and Radio Public, among others. So subscribe today on your favorite podcast service and tell all your friends. On today's edition, I have a conversation with Ethan McKinney and David Newton, both from the Prosecuting Attorney's Office with the St. Joseph County, Indiana Child Support Program. Ethan and David share about who they are, how they got involved in the child support program, and roles that they have held. They speak about the proactive felony non-support project in St. Joseph County, including how it got its start, the motivation behind the program, and the difference that it makes. They also talk about the importance of the role of investigators in this project, share stories, and discuss lessons learned. It's going to be a great show, so stick around, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to NCA On Location. I'm Tim Leitner, and I'm with the Alaska Child Support Services Division in Anchorage, Alaska. And today we're having a conversation with a couple of colleagues from the St. Joseph County, Indiana Child Support Program, and more specifically, the Prosecuting Attorney's Office. Please welcome to the podcast, Ethan McKinney and David Newton. Now, you may have heard these two speak at the recent ERICSA training conference in New Orleans, Louisiana, this past May. So let me ask both of you, can you tell us a little bit more about yourselves, who you are, your titles, what you do for St. Joseph County? Thank you, Tim. I am the Child Support Director, and I'm a Deputy Prosecuting Attorney in St. Joseph County. I have been here about 17 and a half years, all of that time in child support, first eight years or so of my career doing uh, cases in the courtroom, establishing and enforcing support orders. And the last 10 years, I have been director of this division, responsible for reporting to the elected prosecutor on all things having to do with child support in St. Joe County. And my name is David Newton. They call me Dave, David. I am the chief investigator for the St. Joseph County, Indiana Prosecutor's Office. I am a retired police officer with South Bend Police Department. And I came to the prosecutor's office in 2016. Later on that year, I became the chief investigator and I am responsible for our felony child support investigator, as well as our white collar crime wing in our investigative division. Also, I am in charge of our over the road and in town court subpoena paper or summons delivery. And then I do investigations, whatever that may be for the prosecutor, whether it's special investigations or something that comes up that's usually if it's something that needs to be 
looked into, I do it. So that's what I do on a daily basis. Sounds good. So Ethan, you've joined us before here on NCN Location, and we're very, very pleased to have you back with us. And Dave, we're excited to have you on as well, as you both share about what St. Joe's County is doing and also what you presented this year at Erixa. Let's start here. Can you tell us a little bit about what the Proactive Felony Non-Support Project is? When did this start? What was the inspiration for doing this? Kind of set the stage for us. In around 2016, our chief deputy had recently been elected to become our new elected prosecutor. Uh, He had a great respect for the child support division and felt like we did everything we could to enforce our cases civilly. He was always pleased with our performance and wanted us to continue doing that for him as his child support division now that he was the elected. But the one thing he wanted us to really look at was using Indiana's felony non-support statute to charge criminally those cases, those parents who absolutely refused to pay child support We're not taking advantage of any of our civil attempts for them to pay. We're not looking for work. We're not you know, supporting their children. And also when they were able to do so, they still continued not to support their children or be encouraged by any of our enforcement efforts. So we looked at, it was actually an NCA conference. So I'm happy to be on an NCA podcast to talk about it. The Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office received the Program Awareness Award that summer in 2016, specifically on a a similar program of using felony non-support to get the word out in the community about child support and encourage people to pay without them having to file felony. And that kind of was the inspiration of us wanting to be more proactive in the felony arena as a tool to help us collect on our cases, but then ultimately to punish those parents who absolutely refuse to support their kids. Yeah, thank you. So, you know, you talked about there being a historical or old way of using felony criminal non-support and that you transitioned to a quote-unquote new way. Can you tell us what this meant for St. Joe's County and, and what were the goals and objectives that were kind of set? Yeah, historically, we didn't really care about filing felonies. We, you know, as I said at the at the presentation, we're all about that money. We want to collect for kids. And felony really is the end of the road in terms of enforcing a case. You've decided that you no longer are going to do civil enforcement and you're going to move to felony. So the old way was we really were only filing felonies when a custodial parent really asked us to, or when a caseworker asked us to because they had become totally frustrated with their case. So we did file maybe five to 10 new felonies a year. But, you know, it was not a lot of them and it was only on cases where someone brought it to us. So it was a subjective case review. And everything else we do in St. Joe is based on reports and objective criteria in terms of trying to enforce the cases the best way, regardless of if they're a complaining case or if we never hear from the custodial parent, we want them to know they get the same service as someone who calls every every week. But we weren't doing that with felonies. So what we wanted to do this new way was to be just as proactive about using the felony non-support statute. And so reviewing all of our cases that fell into the possibility that could have a felony filed and making an objective decision to move forward with felony if we felt that was the best and last step uh, in terms of trying to get some final payments or hold the parent accountable because they were refusing to support their children. Yeah, Ethan, I, I like how you put that, that it's a proactive stance or proactive response to parents that are not 
providing that support for the children, instead of that reactive, knee-jerk kind of response. And so to really look at this being, if you, if you will, I think you said kind of the last step, the last bit, and not the beginning. You don't start out with you know the heavy-handedness. It's really being proactive to try to prevent something from happening down the line. So that, that makes sense to me. So getting this in line with the other things that St. Joe's County does and and being proactive and having a process lined out, not being subjective, I can really imagine that there must be a process for screening which cases and paying parents should be considered for this project, not just one caseworker that's gung-ho to to refer every case for, you know, felony criminal non-support. Can you tell us about that screening process, some of that criteria that you use, and which ones or, or, or why were they important for you? Just kind of give us a bigger context. Yeah, you know, we, we rely on data here in St. Joe. So we wanted to make sure that we were looking at the cases holistically and using data to do that. One of the things we first had to do was just settle on how are we going to pull cases to look at. Indiana does have a legacy system. We're in the process of getting a new system. But, you know, we have an old system, so it can be challenging to to pull data. But we do have a pretty robust data warehouse that the state Child Support Bureau had created that allows counties to be really selective in what, what sort of data they want to get out of the system. You know, initially, our elected wanted us to look at every case in arrears. And I said, oh, please no, like that's way too many cases. Everybody owes a little bit. Some of those are paying cases. We don't want to do a felony just because they owe some arrears. We want to make sure that we pick a good number. So we settled on starting with cases that were $10,000 behind. We felt like that was a good number that almost anybody who has reached the level of $10,000 behind, pretty good bet. We've already tried some civil enforcement. They're still refusing to pay. That's a big number. And at the time, the statute in Indiana allowed that to be a C-level felony instead of a D-level felony based on that arrearage. So we'd be going for the, the higher felony right off the right off the get. We looked at cases where at least one of the children was still under 23 years old because Indiana has a five-year statute of limitations for non-support felonies to be charged. So we had to have a 23-year-old child on the case. We looked for cases with no payments in the last 90 days. And that report brought us down to about 1,500 cases to start from. And that's where we started to think about actually having to review the cases. So from there, the criteria that you discussed was we looked at, had they paid at least 75% of child support this year? We don't want to file a felony. Even if they haven't paid the last 90 days, if they've paid a large chunk of what they should, this is a case that wants to pay. Have we ever done civil enforcement? Is this a case that fell through the cracks and we missed it? Or is this a case where we have been doing our tools and they're still not paying? Then we also want to look for proof of employment or any idea of possible disability because we didn't want to file felonies on someone who might be disabled. And if we knew that they were employed at some point in the past, that would give us uh, some effort to investigate the case, to go find out anything we could from their old employers. And that got us down to 300 cases. So taking the list from that 1,500 to the 300 cases, we felt really confident that any case that was in that 300 was a case we would consider for felony charges. And then, you know, because again, we are about getting that money for families. I didn't want to still go straight to felony. So we drafted a warning letter 
to send out to all 300 of those non-custodial parents. And we wanted to let them know that we're at the point in your case where we're going to consider felony. That's going to be our next step. But if you call us and start making a payment, we could defer that decision and work with you. We had our Indiana Prosecuting Attorneys Council, which gives advice to prosecutors, we just asked for them to review the letter to make sure there wasn't any ethical issues with us sending out a letter like that. And it's not an ethical problem for an attorney to send a letter like that unless you're threatening the the non-custodial parent with felony. So we made sure we weren't we weren't threatening it. It was just this is where we're at in our case. And if you do call us or reach out through a caseworker or, or to one of our office members, th- then we could not file felony. And then any case that still hadn't responded, still hadn't made payments after that point became a case we were going to actively consider filing felony charges against. Yeah, so it sounds like what you're saying is, you know, broadly, it's it's not just about trying to win and get uh, a felony conviction, but rather to really get these folks to pay their support in a, on a consistent basis, not just go out for the big, we've won, but rather a win for the kids. So I'm I'm kind of thinking that for a project of this size, you needed additional staff beyond what you had and beyond just the caseworkers that were, were referring the cases to you. Can you tell us a little bit about what you did to, to staff this? What were your staffing needs? Yeah, the first thing we needed, and we had good luck to have a legal summer intern in 2016, was just someone to review that huge 1,500 case number. And using the criteria that myself and our supervising attorney set up to screen out the cases that we knew we wouldn't file felony on. We obviously weren't going to let an intern make the decision to file felony, but we did feel comfortable. He could look at the criteria we gave him and say, yeah, this is not a case you guys would have wanted a felony on. So we could help trim that down. We knew that we probably needed another deputy prosecutor to handle these cases and manage the program as it got started. And then we knew that we needed an investigator. You heard Dave when he when he talked in the beginning about all the, the duties he's assigned as chief investigator. Uh, so we couldn't ask him to help us investigate those cases. So that was the other thing we really needed was a dedicated 4D investigator who could run down leads. If, if like I said, we knew someone had worked somewhere before, they could go talk to that employer for us and find out if that might be someone we'd want to subpoena for a hearing. And so those are the things that we knew we really needed staffing wise to make this program work. And then maybe just to follow up, were, were your, your child support line staff, were they on board with this when you launched the project? Was there some convincing, some nudging, some just trying to get them on board? And maybe just as importantly, were parents receiving support? You know, mostly the, you know, obviously the custodial parents, were they on board with what your project was going to do? Yeah, the caseworkers were, were really on board. Obviously, the, the enforcement caseworkers they all have this list of cases at their desk of cases that are the worst to try to collect from, the ones they know have a side job but don't pay any child support. And they like this idea of us proactively working the cases so that they didn't have to solely be responsible for trying to, to forward a case to a deputy to review. So the caseworkers are on board from the beginning. The parents generally have been on board with this course of action, the custodial parents who aren't getting support in this scenario, and we've done multiple court hearings. They've had to leave work to come to court hearings, and they still are getting no help. They were really receptive to us doing it. The one consideration that we also had was just domestic violence survivors. We know that any enforcement the prosecutor's office may do 
including in child support, could be a triggering action for more violence. So we did reach out to any custodial parent who had the family violence indicator on their case just to let them know that their case was in this consideration and that we would not file it at all if they felt their safety was at risk. And some of those custodial parents still did want us to file. And so we we moved forward. But the ones who said, yeah, I worry about my safety if you guys file that and it becomes a thing that leads him to retaliate against me, we trusted them to know their safety better than us. And we didn't file in that scenario. Yeah. And, and Dave, let me ask you, can you share a little bit about the specific role that the investigator has with this project? In other words, what you know, what do you do? Can you talk about some specifics and what happens once you have contacted the non-custodial parent that is supposed to pay child support? Well, the beauty of this uh, on my end is I have a very aggressive investigator. This is actually our second one, and both of them have been very good. And when we first get a case, basically a packet is put together with all the information that is needed and how to track the person down, basically the last known addresses, everything, last known employer. We also have all the information from the custodial parent. And then what we do is the investigator will contact the custodial parent because they usually have great information on where the non-custodial parent is, what they're doing, where they're working, if they're working a side job. And if we have a warrant, if we've already filed the charges and we have warrants on them, then we go out actively looking for them on a daily basis. Sometimes local law enforcement will help our investigators pick these people up. Sometimes I go out with them when we have a day where we go through a packet. We'll go through 20 packets and we'll go look for 20 people. And when we grab one or two, we may grab them at work. We may grab them at their mother's house. We may grab them at their girlfriend's house or their own home. It's been a really interesting process because this was a new creation that we hadn't had before. So when we started, we just wanted to be successful and start holding these people accountable for not paying their support. During the presentation, we talked about tools. You know, we have the civil tools in the child support realm where, you know, people, you try to get them to pay, you try to take them to court, they go to hearings. And we just happen to be the hammer in the toolbox. We just happen to be that if you refuse to take care of your responsibilities, we're going to come after you. And we are relentless in doing that. It's a daily thing. We call, I mean, 4th of July barbecues will show up if we're looking for somebody and and the family will be like this guy these people are crazy and we won't stop until you contact us turn yourself in or we pick you up yeah i've got to ask you you came from a law enforcement background yes what what was it like and how in the world did you decide to join something like child support which obviously is is about the collection like you talked about collecting the money for the children for the families to support that child how in the world did you get over to child support well the the number one factors is i didn't know i was going to be doing it when i took the job my boss said hey would you mind trying this and i'm like yeah of course you know i he he, he laid out what that he wanted to do what the program was, how he was going to set it up. He wanted to hire another investigator. And if I felt comfortable supervising that person and helping that person to get online. And uh, I thought it was great. And the, the 
best thing for 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 law enforcement we're goal driven it's not about money praise it's about okay i'm i have this goal i have this this task i have to complete this person that i'm after and i want to try to get that person to do what they're supposed to do one way or another voluntarily involuntarily that's how we do it i didn't know that i was going to be doing it and it's been rewarding because when we collect money for children, it goes directly to them. So if we arrest somebody and they have a thousand dollar bond and they pay a thousand dollars to get out, that money goes directly to the to the family, and it's needed. And it hasn't been there, so it's it's a uh, it's it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of fun. I enjoy it, and I know my my investigator enjoys it as well. Yeah, that that's 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 a real rewarding factor to see families benefit from that. So that's that's cool. And you know, I would imagine that once the cases move forward with the felony net support, that the non custodial parent is not very happy about it. And then for you to take a and make a personal and physical contact showing up the barbecue or work or or what have you, I'm sure that there can be some contentious moments. Can you share a little bit about some of those moments that you faced over the years? Well, Tim, let, let me just say this. Most people who are good investigators, law enforcement officers are usually contentious people anyway. So conflict is no problem. That's just what we do. We've had some incidents where we've uh, actually, I had an investigator who the non-custodial parent lived on his way home. And he would go home for lunch and then he would, you know, go to work, go to work, go to lunch. And then after lunch, he'd go back to work and then he would go back to go home. Well, every time he would pass this guy's house, he would stop, knock on the door, leave a card. So I was riding around with him one day. We were out picking up people and we knocked on the door. He didn't come out. So we were actually sitting in the parking lot talking about where we were going to lunch and this guy just walks out the door with his hands up, like, okay, I give up. I'm tired of it. He's here four times a day, every day. And that was a good interaction because he willingly came along. He knew he had a responsibility to take care of. He knew he had paperwork he had to take care of, and he did. We've had incidents where we've had people we were looking for who refused to come out. We had an incident where a lady ended up getting tased. Um, we had to get the local police had to get physical with these folks. I had an incident where I was delivering a subpoena for a case and uh, I ended up shooting a dog that they, they let their, their pit bulls out on me. It's inherently dangerous when you have to confront people that you don't know and make them responsible for their actions. But that's just what we do. We had a lady one time that the officer was so nice to her. Uh, my investigator was so nice to her, but was relentless after her that she was going to turn herself in and her car broke down and she asked us to give her a ride to jail. And I told him I never had, he had her on speaker. She's like, well, could you give me a ride so I can go to jail? And I was like, I've never had that. That that was weak. That's crazy. It's, it, it, I, you know, I imagine you've got story after story, but the bottom line is getting parents to pay and to take care of their kids and and putting yourself really seriously in a line of danger at times or where your safety is at risk, those those are not things that a lot of people think about. We, we do take precautions. We have body armor and we do travel. If we have someone that we think may be a, a problem, 
we do call local law enforcement. We do cover front and back doors. And I've had I've had incidents where I've been at the back door and a guy, my, my investigator is knocking on the front door and I see feet come out of the back window and, and I'm standing there and I just put them in handcuffs and walk them around the front. You have to have a, a police mentality to confront people in a legal capacity. You have to do that. You have to use officer safety. You have to know tactics because you can get hurt or killed in the process of even doing child support. I mean, you can get a gun pulled on you and shot. People don't want to go to jail. That's that's doesn't have to be anything big for that to happen. So I've got to ask, this this fits into a lot of different scenarios from what you've all been talking about, but are there some lessons learned from St. Joe's Proactive Felony Non-Support Project? And what would you what would you suggest or what would you say to other jurisdictions that might want to consider a program such as this? Yeah, I think, you know, I have a few lessons learned that I would share. One thing that we haven't talked about yet today, definitely want your court on board with this, whatever court you're going to file these felonies in. Like I said, we went from filing five to 10, maybe a year to a new project where we were hoping to file 25 a quarter. So a hundred felonies a, a year. And so our elected really did reach out to our circuit court judge and one of his magistrates to make sure they were willing to accommodate the influx of new charges and just to do some judicial education to make sure that the judge and his magistrate knew we're not filing brand new cases as felonies. These are all the worst cases we have because we wanted the judge to have the same mentality that we do, that these cases have done everything civilly uh, before they come to me so that, so that the judge was in the same frame of mind as us when we were asking for prison time. I also think, you know, you want to get your investigators involved as early as possible. And you definitely want to hire real police officers to come work for the prosecutor's office as investigators. We don't know what we don't know. Even as prosecutors, you know, a lot of people will joke that prosecutors are lawyers who wanted to be cops. So we came to a prosecutor's office, but we don't know all the tactics that Dave and his investigators know. We haven't had to work with the public face to face in this scenario for a whole career. So getting retired South Bend police officers to work for us and use all that skill and knowledge to help us work our cases has been fantastic. And then the, the last thing is because you don't know what you don't know. This job has really sprawled as a lesson learned. So we went from just doing felonies to now having a tool for that custodial parent who calls and says, hey, I think the father is working nights at this bar, but I don't know if he is or not. Well, I can't ask a caseworker to go sit on a bar in the middle of night. It's not safe. It's not what they're trained for. But so we police officers do it. That's right. (laughs) So. Having these guys has allowed us to even do a better job on our civil cases that aren't going to necessarily get the felony because we can ask them to go run down leads the same as they would for a criminal case on a civil case. And then we can use that information to help us enforce the case. And to piggyback on that, um, that Ethan said, you know, some of our lessons learned on the enforcement side, you have to get with your local law enforcement. You have to let them know what you're doing. Uh, we, We used to do a couple sweeps one a year and, and getting them involved and letting them know that you're out here actively looking for these people. So when you do call for assistance, they get that, you know, you're not asking them to do anything above and beyond. You're, you are taking care of the responsibility. You just need their help personnel wise and maybe resource wise if something may get out of hand. Also, you have to have a plan. We have a kind of a plan every time 
we go, even if it's just one officer that's going out to contact somebody, we have a plan. I have to know where everyone is, what they're doing. And the guys that work for, for me and work with us are really, really, really good folks. And they really, really are professional in what they do. Also, what I like about this program is our caseworkers, our assistant prosecuting attorneys, and our investigator all work together collectively. They talk collectively. They, they engage. If there's something that they need, they can always come to us. It's, it's kind of a, it's such a great working relationship and we happen to be on the same floor and it's, and it's really nice when you need something or if they need something, they know they can come to you and talk to you. And they know that you understand that it's an aspect of their case that they need, they need backup on something just like if they're an officer, that's how we do. And then we've actually, like Ethan said, we've expanded it to somebody maybe working part-time and we may need an officer to go out and see if they're working part-time somewhere. Or we've also had cases where we had someone who we were doing a case on that we were trying to, uh, he had assets, he had some rental assets that he was not disclosing. And, uh, I ended up doing an investigation and found out that he had another set of income that he wasn't reporting, he wasn't sharing, and he wasn't paying. And in the long run, actually the day of the trial, he came in and dropped the lump sum so he didn't have to go to court and go to prison. So, I mean, and those things are what I love about this program. It kind of expanded. It went from more to chasing people to helping with the cases and making sure that we get the the money for the children that's what it's all about yeah and i i can only imagine that that from your past career um in law enforcement just those relationships those connections knowing people and them knowing you that whole networking has been extremely beneficial especially when you're needing to contact them and they're not just thinking that you're you know just somebody behind a desk at the child support office that that you're somebody that has had some rapport with them so that makes a lot of sense and and, and not just in what your duties are but also in your safety True. And I I think it's great, especially for our caseworkers, because they work hard on getting these cases and contacting people. And a lot of times they'll come to and say, Dave, could you do me a favor? I'm trying to find out ABC. Can you do that? Can you look into that for me? And of course, we have resources that we can look into it. Or there was one time we had a situation where a guy, we found out he was getting benefits. He was using like three names. And he wasn't paying his child support. He was getting all kinds of benefits. He wasn't even disabled for the benefits he was getting. And if, if the caseworker would have never came and said, hey, can you look into this? We'd have never known. If we, and if she didn't feel comfortable talking to us, it would have never got taken care of. And to, to piggyback off that, Tim, you know, the, the other thing about the investigators that we've hired, Dave and, and his investigator now, Blair, these guys that have done the job in a city like South Bend for a whole career and have been good police who make good contacts with the public, those contacts help us in child support in numerous ways. Dave worked a homicide years ago. Family had lost their son. He worked that case. The family really appreciated how hard he worked that case for them. A caseworker just happened to need an address for a young guy in Chicago for a new paternity establishment. And the grandmother 
from this case Dave had worked 20 years ago is his great-grandmother now. And so with a phone call, Dave was able to find out, oh yeah, he's living with, with this family member in Chicago. This is the address. They said if you send the paperwork there, they'll make sure he comes to Indiana for court. And that that does not happen without having good investigators who also have a good reputation with the people they served before they came to work for the prosecutor's office. Yeah, it gets to, gets to be a small world. So let me let me just ask, as we kind of wrap this up for today, besides lessons learned, are there any last thoughts or any last words that you would like to share or leave with us? Well, I would say it, it is a tough decision to move to felony as a child support office. We are now looking to punish someone for their prior bad act of not supporting their child, and we may likely be asking for prison time, which means we know that our goal is going to likely lead to the custodial parent not getting support for a period of time. So we need to make sure that if you do a program like ours, that you scrutinize your cases so that you're comfortable that you know this person wasn't going to pay anyway. So asking the judge to hold them accountable is not going to harm the mother and child or father who has custody and the children because they weren't going to get any uh, payments from this person anyway. And if you don't feel like you can make that decision on your cases, then I don't think you should file the felony because you haven't done everything else that you could yet. That's why I've really liked our program with the warning letter, the objective review, including investigators to go out to the house and talk to them. And we've gotten payments just from that. You know, I got a complaint about Dave's investigator, uh, but the complaint was effectively that he was doing his job too well. And the guy really wished he would stop coming to the house. And if he started making payments, would that happen? So if you can do those things, you know that those cases are paying, you don't have to do felony. But if you've done all those things, and they're still not paying, that's when you know you can move forward with a felony and feel confident that it's the right decision for your case. And that's that's so true. I think that if you do this kind of, of work and you decide that you want to go this route in enforcing parents to pay their support, you, you have to be mindful that the focus is, is the children. And like Ethan said, if we're doing a case on someone, they've already put the felony case together on themselves. Years and years of them not complying with orders from the judge, um, requests from the court, that's all the bricks that they've made their own house to, to live in. That's theirs. And if you have to focus that the child is the reason why we do this, we do this to support them and for the resources for them to be able to, to live and grow. You know, the non-custodial parents, they know what they're supposed to do. They know. And if they don't do them, sometimes you just have to hold people accountable. I'm just blessed I get to do that and love doing it. If you have people that are looking to start this program and they're looking for insight on how to do the enforcement and they can always contact me anytime, I would be willing to help them, whether it's you know on the phone or like this or coming. It doesn't matter. I would, I would help them in any way we can do it. Well, I want to thank our guests. Ethan McKinney and Dave Newton for joining us today and sharing about the proactive felony non-support project in St. Joseph County, Indiana, and how it's benefiting the child support program. I appreciate you continuing the conversation from Arixa, and I'm looking forward to seeing more from both of you and your leadership in the child support community. As always, I want to thank our on-location listeners for joining us today. 
On behalf of Encia, I'm Tim Leitner, and this has been On Location. On Location is available on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you get your podcasts. We have a lot of great episodes on the way, so be sure to subscribe and listen to all of our previous episodes as well. We also appreciate your ratings, your feedback, your comments, and your suggestions. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please reach out to us on the contact link on our website. On Location is a production of the NCA Communications Committee with special production assistance from Joe Mamlin and me. Thanks again for joining me. I'm Tim Leitner, and this has been On Location.